Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Um, I see ushers grabbing Bibles. So if you maybe left your Bible at home or in the car, you can wave at one of these guys in the maroon shirts and they will pass you a Bible that matches their shirt. Uh, they color coordinate that way. And, um, and so um, if you do not have a Bible, I say this from time to time, if you don't own a Bible at all, then this is our gift to you. You just keep it, take it with you. And then I encourage you to read it. Um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis, Genesis chapter 32. As you know, um, if you've been here the last few weeks, we're taking a break. We're kind of right in the middle of our, a series in the book of Ephesians called Custom Made Calling. But we were right there at chapter 4, and it was something the Lord just really impressed on me to kind of wait uh, through the summer and pick that up in the fall when we gather back. Um, and so when so many of the things that are happening this time of year have kind of settled down. And so in the month of July, we're just doing some individual standalone messages. Last week, uh, we talked about Moses and just principles, things that God's taught me out of his life. This morning, um, I want to share with you things that um, I first heard and God began to stir in me in a message that I heard 30 years ago about the life of Jacob. And uh, I have found now 30 years of walking these things out, I find them more true than I knew they were even 30 years ago. And I want to share them with you. As a matter of fact, I told 6-4 this morning as we were praying that if I knew I only had one more message to share with you on this earth, it would probably be this message. Uh, it has been that powerful in transforming the way I think and my belief about who God is and how he works. Uh, when I first heard the message, uh, preached by Ron Dunn, who's gone on to be with the Lord. He went to be with the Lord in 2001, I think. But when I first heard the message, he called it, Surprise, It's God. And which is a good title. Uh, I heard him preach it again at another time, and he changed the title because we do that sometimes. Same message, different title. Uh, but he preached it called Three Surprises About How God Worked in My Life, um, which is also a good title. If I were titling this message today, I would call it How God Transforms a Jacob into an Israel. How does God transform a Jacob into an Israel? Genesis chapter 32 is where we're going to begin. Verse 22, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and talk about it. Verse 22 says, The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants, his handmaids, his concubines, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, all of his possessions, everything. And Jacob was left alone. That's important. We'll come back and talk about that here in a few minutes. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the chenou of the thigh, that is, on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the chenou of the thigh. When I was in seventh or eighth grade, I began to realize that there were this thing in the world called girls. All right? Up to that point, I didn't know there were any girls. I mean, there were some people who were different from me, and they all had cooties. And, and the only thing that they were good for was to irritate, except for the few exceptions, those who played sports better than boys, and then they were just one of the boys. But about seventh or eighth grade, it changed. All right, you begin to notice there's this thing called girls. And up until that point, I hadn't cared about attire. I hadn't cared about what I wore. I hadn't cared about hairstyles or hygiene or any of those kind of things. Um, and so, but I remember at that point, and up until that point, I had a haircut like Spock on Star Trek. All right, that was my hair, you know, came straight down bangs, just cut them around and all, and that was fine, I didn't care. And bother combing it most of the time. Um, so, but seventh or eighth grade, I began to notice you, you could do different things with your hair. And, you know, you could take showers and put on stuff that smelled, and girls seemed to like that. And, you know, just these different things that you begin to notice as you're, as you're getting a little bit older. And there was this guy who was a couple years older than me, and he had the, the Sean Cassidy do. You remember? Parted in the middle, feathered on both sides. And I remember going to my mom and said, I want my hair to look like that. And she said, well, I can give you a haircut. I can cut your hair that style. My, my, by the way, my mom, was back then they called them beauticians. Uh, I don't think they call them that anymore. Um, but she had gone to school and she did that. My fact, for a while owned a business where she did hair and sold wigs and all that kind of stuff. I remember that as a kid. So I went to her and I said, I want you to cut my hair like that. I want my hair to look like that. And she tried to explain something to me that I didn't understand then. She said, Troy, I can cut your hair the same way his hair is cut. But you need to understand two things. Every head of hair is different. No two are alike. So I can cut it a certain way, but it doesn't mean it will turn out exactly the same way, even though I cut it the right way. And she said, secondly, it is hair, like so many other things, you train it to do certain things. Now, I don't know if that's true if you train it or we just train ourselves on how to fix it. But over time, it does seem to get easier to make it go a certain way. But when you first start out, it doesn't seem to work that way. So she cut my hair, and sure enough, I was unhappy because in my mind, it did not look anything like that other guy. You say, is there a point to this? There is. There is a point to this. In our spiritual life, we sometimes forget that though we are the same in certain ways, we are all uniquely different. And the work of God looks different in our life, even though there are some principles that apply across the board. You can cut it the same style, but doesn't mean it looks the same way. And it's so important, and I didn't understand this early on in my Christian life, that time is not the enemy. That God so often, his greatest work 
in my life takes time. I, I, I'm, I, how many of you are like me? You go to the doctor and, you know, and you want to be healthy and you want to feel well and, you know, have all kinds of energy. And so a doctor looks at you and he says, okay, Troy, I want you to get at least eight hours of sleep a night. Doc, that's two or three nights worth of sleep. What do you mean eight hours in one night? Eight hours of sleep in a night. You need to eat healthy and exercise regularly. And you know what my answer is? Can't you just give me a pill? But isn't that our nature? I don't want to change my life. I just want a pill. Spiritually, we do the same thing. God, I don't want to be transformed. I don't want to change my life over a period of time. I just want a pill. Don't you have a spiritual pill you can give me? Can't I go to, can't I go to a concert or to a conference? Can't I hear a certain message or a certain speaker? Can't I have a certain experience with God? Can I get baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit and that change everything? Or can I, can I get a certain gifting and that change? I mean, just a pill. I need a pill. What I didn't understand as a young man and what it's taken me a long time to figure out is that God does things in a moment that he works out in a lifetime. Jacob, you learn a lot of this from Jacob. Jacob is leaving where he's been for 20 years with his father-in-law Laban. He's become a wealthy man. God's blessed him there. Laban tried to trick him, tried to take advantage of him. And God continued to bless him. And then God comes to Jacob right before this chapter and he tells him, he says, Jacob, I want you to go home. I want you to go back to Bethel where I first met with you. And then I want you to go home. Time for you to leave this place where you are. 20 years has passed since Jacob showed up there. And so he starts heading back and he realizes that the reason he left 20 years ago was his brother Esau. Esau and Jacob were twins, but Esau was the firstborn of the twins. He came first. Jacob came second. As a matter of fact, Jacob's name literally means one who grabs the heel. You get this picture that they were born with Jacob holding on to Esau's heel. And the Hebrew word, as a matter of fact, over later in the Old Testament when it says uh, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, it's a, in the Hebrew, literally, the heart is a Jacob. It's this idea of a trickster. It's this idea of someone who's always scheming and conniving and trying to get what they think they want. And that was Jacob's life. Jacob was always trying to get what he wanted, no matter what he had to do. So if he had to trick his brother, if he had to take advantage of his brother when he was hungry, if he had to lie to his father, whatever he had to do in order to get what he wanted. So he's coming back. Esau is still there. And so he thinks, you know what? I'm sure Esau hasn't forgotten that I stole the birthright. And so I'm going to send him presents. I'm going to send him gifts. And it's an elaborate plan that he works out, send these different, three different groups of animals. And, and he's got his servant saying, hey, when, these, when Esau says, what are these? He said, these are from Jacob, your servant. Who's, these are gifts for you. He's trying to buy Esau's affection. He's trying to pay for what he has done. And so... Um, the servant comes back and tells Jacob, Esau's on his way. He heard that you're coming. And he, by the way, he's coming with 400 men. Now, what do you think Esau intended to do with 400 men? Was he going to throw Jacob a parade? 
Welcome home, brother. Jacob didn't think that. As a matter of fact, the scripture very clearly says Jacob was very afraid. Jacob suspected that Esau's only reason Esau needed 400 men was he was coming to destroy them all. And so they stop, they camp for the night, and this is where we pick the story up, where Jacob takes and puts his family, his wives, his concubines, his children, all of his possessions, everything on one side of the brook, it says, and he stays on the other side alone. And there in the night, someone jumps on him in the middle of the night, and he doesn't know who it is. Now, here's the first thing that Ron Dunn said years ago in that message, and I have found it to be true in my own life over the last 30 years. My greatest battles in life have not been with the devil, but with God. My greatest battles in life have not been with the devil, but they've been with God. Let me say it a different way. I have found it easier at times to say no to sin than to say yes to surrender. Jacob didn't have any idea who jumped on him in the middle of the night, but I guarantee you he didn't think it was a friend. His first thought was not, oh God, you just showed up to bless me. I guarantee you his first thought was, Esau has snuck around and he's here to kill me. Or if it's not Esau, it's one of his assassins he sent to kill me but he didn't think it was God. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be until later on in this wrestling, in this struggle, that it would dawn on. There was a revelation that took place where Jacob finally realized, wait a second, this is God I'm wrestling with. It says that a man jumped on him. You say, well, that's not God. Hosea 12 says it was an angel that wrestled with him. We don't know. I mean, was it an angel? Was it was it Jesus in human form in the Old Testament? I mean, theologians will argue and dispute over that. It really doesn't matter, I don't think. All that matters is it became very apparent that this was God's messenger. This was God coming to Jacob and wrestling with him. The old, the, the old uh, Jewish rabbis, some of them used to surmise that this was actually Jacob's guardian angel. That makes me laugh. That's the kind, it reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey says, yeah, you're the kind of angel, guardian angel I would get. All right? That Jacob is such a conniver that his own guardian angel looks forward to the opportunity to beat him up. I mean, it really is, it, it, I don't know that there's any truth in it. That's just what the old rabbis say. But it's funny to me to think about that. Because I've been that kind of person where I could imagine my guardian angel, they didn't want to guard me, they want to beat me up. Your greatest battles, my greatest battles have not been with the devil. I've had some battles. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the fact the devil is real and he's powerful and he's a schemer. I'm not diminishing any of that. But I have found it easier, especially as I've continued in this journey, it's easier to say no to sin than to say yes to surrender. To be able to say, Lord, I will quit doing it my way. These battles come... In all of our lives, this wrestling, if you will, we got we, Old New Testament alike. You see it. You've got Paul over in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where he's pleading, or is it Second Corinthians twelve? One of the Corinthians. 
He's pleading, saying, Lord, would you remove this thorn from me? He says, I repeat over and over, I, I, I repeated this, Lord, remove this. I know what I need to be effective in serving you, and this is not it. And the Lord says, Paul, I want to give you what you're asking for, but it's not going to look like you think. I want to give you everything that your heart desires and more. But I can't remove the thorn. I have to leave it. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my grace. And your strength is going to become a platform. Your weakness is going to become a platform for my strength. Your inability becomes a platform for my ability. Your lack will demonstrate to everyone my unlimited supply. If you're like me, when I have had these conversations with the Lord, it's, I'm often like, Lord, is there another door that I can choose? Is there a different one? I don't believe there is, folks. If we want to walk with him, I believe these principles apply. Now, what it looks like in your life will be different than what it looks like in my life or in Lori's life or in somebody else's life. But I believe these principles hold true. God often, I would say all the time, but that's universal and I won't say it. I believe God often works this way in our life. And you and I are wrestling, we, we may think we're wrestling against the devil when in fact we're wrestling with the messenger of the Lord. But that's okay. Because he's willing, if we stay engaged in it, he's willing to reveal who he is. You'll see it. Here's a second thing that, that I have found to be true in my life. that I've often tried to throw away the very thing I was asking God to give. I've often tried to get loose from, to get away from, the very thing I was asking God to do in my life. I'm asking Him to bless. I'm asking Him to provide. We were talking with our kids just recently about this. Elizabeth is our youngest. She's our thirdborn. Uh, Katie and Andrew... Born first, and Lori had very difficult pregnancies with both of them. And so after Andrew was born, the doctors and the midwife and all, um, they said, you know, you've got a boy and a girl. Your family's complete. You really should stop. Lori, she's not cut out for pregnancy. It's not good for her, even dangerous. And you should stop. And so I took that as gospel. It's like, okay, I'm stopping. I didn't get married to raise children without Lori, so I mean, we're, we're done. And I was that way for quite a while. Now, Lori wanted more children. I was like, no, no, you heard the doctor. You heard the, you heard the midwife. I mean, we're done. And I was set. You know, I, my face was fixed until, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock one morning, the Lord woke me up. And it was as clear as day, his voice to me. I could hear it, not audibly, but it was just so clear in my, in my heart. Troy, I want to give you one more. I want to give you one more. I knew exactly what he meant. I knew exactly what the one more was. Now here, I still, I, I made a mistake because I believe God and I told Lori and we prayed and 
And we, and I settled that in my heart. I believe God wants to give us one more. And he did. And he gave us Elizabeth and she's a, I can't imagine our family without her. But I foolishly thought that he would do that. And that Lori, this third pregnancy would be the model pregnancy. It would be great. She wouldn't have any problems. It would just be smooth as silk. It was not. It was as bad or worse than any of her other pregnancies as far as what it did to her body. And it was dangerous at points. And I remember thinking, God, you told me to do this. And I believed you. And I asked you, I said, Lord, okay, I believe you. And so I want the blessing that you want to give. Lord, why is it this way? And the Lord took me back to Jacob. Troy, you often want to throw away the blessing that I want to give because it doesn't come looking the way you think it's supposed to look. I believe that God often brings blessing in our life and we think they're curses. And so we reject them or refuse them because we don't see them as a blessing. I know the difference between a blessing and a curse. I know what a blessing looks like and Lord, this isn't it. I know a curse and I can guarantee you this is the picture next to the word curse in the dictionary. This is a curse. This isn't a blessing. Paul didn't think the thorn was a blessing, and yet the Lord said it is a blessing. It's a blessing. Here's the challenge. Good and bad often run on parallel tracks and arrive at the same time. Good and bad often run on parallel tracks and arrive at the same time. From our perspective, not from God's perspective, from our perspective. We look at something and say, this is really good and that's really bad. And I've been amazed how often over the last 30 years of my life that those two seem to arrive about the same time. Elizabeth being born, the blessing that she is. I mean, her middle name is Grace because we believe she's a gift. And it was grace that God gave to have her. But it was tough, tough pregnancy. Good and bad. We're on parallel tracks and usually arrive at the same time. Every thing that we would go back in the life of this church, if we sat here all day and I shared with you story after story of God's provision and his working and what he has done in the life of this body, and you would go, yeah and we would clap and we would cheer but I could also spend the, as much time telling you while that was happening this was also happening I discovered something along the way I have learned how to give thanks for one thing in spite of something else you say but if God is so good why couldn't he do it a different couldn't he do it a different sure he could and when you get to heaven you can ask him I'm just telling you what I've discovered. Now, there are those who would say, now, Troy, there's probably just sin in your life or you're not as spiritual as that. And I can, I'll acknowledge I'm probably not as spiritual as the next guy. I understand and see my own fault and weakness, but I've walked with people who I think are way more spiritual than me, way better than I am, and I've seen the same pattern in their life as well. I don't think, I used to think that if I'll just get this all right, if I'll get the right formula, 
I get this Christian life thing wired. You know, if I read my Bible the way I'm supposed to, and I pray the way I'm supposed to, and I'll throw some fasting in there, and I'll, you know, I'll give, and, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do all these different things, then I'll get this Christian life wired, and then it'll just be good stuff coming my way. I don't see that. I don't see it in Scripture. I do see God doing supernatural beyond what we could think or imagine. I do see that. I believe he's good. I believe he wants to bless us. I just believe sometimes I'm not really good at telling what's a blessing and what's a curse. Sometimes I can't tell the difference. And what I think is a blessing isn't. And what I think is a curse isn't a curse either. Look at this as we go through it. He said, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. Do you think that angel, that messenger of God, couldn't get Jacob off of him? Do you really think he couldn't? <laughs> like, let me go. No. He wanted Jacob off. Jacob's off. I, again, this is not revelation. This is, this is my imagination. This is spiritual imagination. I think that angel was saying, let me go. And under his breath, he was saying, but I hope you don't. I hope you don't. Because for once in his life, Jacob had to stop and quit running. He had to stop and allow God to reveal to him who he really was deep down. No more excuses, no more striving, no more schemes, no more trying to do it his own way. He had to stop because what did that angel ask him? What is your name? Do you think he didn't know his name? Did he just happen upon some strange guy in the wilderness and jump on him without knowing who it was? No, he knew exactly who he was. Why did he ask Jacob his name? Because he wanted a confession. He wanted Jacob to come to the place to finally say, this is who I am. Because remember 20 years earlier, Jacob was asked his name and he lied. And his father said, who is this? And he said, this is your son Esau. He wanted... Jacob to finally say, this is who I am. I have spent my life doing it my way. Oh, folks, that was me. I spent my life doing it my way, even under the guise of being spiritual. And the Lord brings you to that place. And I'll tell you, he does it alone when it's just you and him. Notice what it said about Jacob. His family, his friends, his possessions, they're all on the other side of the brook, and it says Jacob was alone. Now, there are a lot of things God does in your life with other people, and he uses other believers, and he uses people in your life, and I believe that, and we need one another. But there are places that God will take you that you can only go there with just him and you, just God and you. Nobody else will be able to go with you, and nobody else can go for you. Just you and him. And the challenge that I had, and maybe you have, is I often don't want to stay there long enough to get to the bottom of it. I want a quick answer. I want a quick solution. I want to throw up some prayer, see God move, and let's go on. 
And the Lord says, no, let's stay here a little bit. Let's wrestle here a little bit. Let's have some confession. Not a laundry list of all the things that you've done wrong, but the heart issue, the most important issue in your life and my life. It is the number one issue. It is the question of what we are going to do with unconditional surrender to the king of the universe. It is that question that is the most important issue in your life and in my life. What will we do with that question? No conditions, no bargaining, no pleading. Lord, unconditional surrender. I am yours. Do what you want with me. Send me where you want. Do Give, take, whatever you want. I am yours. When he makes his confession, when he finally comes to that place and says, I'm Jacob, he wasn't just telling him his name. He was acknowledging, this is how I've spent my life. It didn't mean that God didn't know him. It didn't mean that God hadn't done some things. I mean, God did significant things in Jacob's life. Even there in his father-in-law's household. Doesn't mean any of that. But the real work, and here's the thing that took a long time for me to understand, that the blessing of God that he wants to give most is the one that's internal, not external. That's the blessing that he wants to give most. And most of the time when I'm asking for blessing, I want external. And God says, no, the one I'm concerned about, the confession I want deals with the internal. Who are you, really? When he confesses, the, the angel says, your name's not Jacob, no longer. You're Israel. Prince of God. I, I actually, I, I love the definition of it. Literally, the... God-empowered prince. That's who you are. God-empowered prince or princess. I'm no longer the one striving to do it my own way, my own terms. And by the way, if you feel like you've accomplished a lot doing it that way, I would acknowledge you may have accomplished some things but here's the question that the Holy Spirit dealt with me a, a number of years ago. What is it that I missed doing it my own way? Not what, what is it that I, I like to look and see what I accomplished doing it my own way. What did I miss? What is it that he wanted to do? What is the blessing that he wanted to give? And I'll tell you the blessing in my life. There, there are many things that I can point to. And we can point to as a ministry and say, these are tangible external things that we're grateful for. And I thank God for it. But the greatest blessings in my life have been the things that God has done internally in me. I would not go back and be that man 10 years ago, 20 years ago for anything. Because this man has learned what it is to have peace. And joy when he shouldn't have any joy. And, and a sense of purpose that's bigger than what other people think. greatest blessing that God wants to do in you and me isn't out here. It's in here. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Doing it your own way. 
striving in your own energy. I will give you rest. I will give you rest, he says, and then you will find rest. I shared with you last week, I struggled so much early on in ministry trying to be everybody else. I'd hear somebody preach and think, that's so good. I'd hear Dan Henley preach and think, oh, that's so good. Well, he did that and put that together and I could do that. Or I'd hear somebody else, man, I wish I could do that. And then this guy tells jokes and everybody, I wish I could be funny like that. And there's no rest in that. God says, I want to meet you and I want to get to the deepest part of who you are. And then I want to show you who I intend for you to be. And you'll find purpose and rest and meaning in that. That is hopeful and encouraging, but I have a warning for you. And then I'm going to wrap this up. Different people translate chapter 33 in different ways. Because in chapter 33, Jacob, now Israel, encounters Esau. And if you read in there, and some will read through it and say, okay, everything that Jacob did was wise and smart and all. I don't think so. But again, one day we get to the Lord, you know, we see the, Jesus face to face, we can ask him. I think he got to chapter 33. And he went back to conniving because it says he ordered them all in different groups. And you say, well, maybe God told him to do that or maybe it was a wise thing to do. The way he ordered his family that day was going to create problems for decades to come because everybody in his family knew where they stood with Jacob and what the pecking order. All the handmaids and their children, you go out there front, you're disposable. If anybody's got to die, you die and the rest of us can get away. That's what he was telling them. And after that, Leah, you take your kids. You're more important than that first group, but you're not as important as Rachel and Joseph. They stay back. You tell me how that was beneficial. It would create problems. No wonder Joseph's brothers hated him. He was still conniving and scheming. He was limping. He, he was bowing instead of limping. You say, well, isn't that a good thing? So the scripture says he bowed seven times to Esau, and then Esau ran and fell on his neck, kissed him, and hugged him, and the whole deal. You say, well, he was showing respect, and it was all perhaps. But what had the Lord given him when he blessed him? What did he give him in chapter 32? He gave him a limp. That's what he gave him. He limped the rest of his life. And it's my personal belief, and again, this isn't revelation. This is just my imagination. God's intent was not for Jacob to bow and pretend humility, but it was to limp. And to be able to say to Esau, when Esau said, you're limping, brother, pretty badly. Why? He said, because I saw God face to face. And I had this encounter with him. And I finally came to a place and recognized who I am and confessed to him who I am. And he says, no, that's who you were. This is who you are. My belief, I can't prove it. Just my belief. And then Jacob made promises he had no intention of keeping. Esau says, come on, I'll go with you. My men, we'll escort you back. We'll go together, back to our father. 
Jacob says, oh no, the children are young, cattle are weak. If we press them too hard, no, you go ahead and I'll meet you there. He had no intention of going there. As a matter of fact, Esau leaves and goes south and Jacob goes northwest. The opposite direction. And then he ends up at Shechem. And there Dinah is raped and two of his sons become murderers. And in chapter 35, when God speaks to him again and says, let's go to Bethel, where I told you to go to start with, he says, put away all your foreign gods. All right, kids, put away all your worldly foreign gods, and let's go see God. You say, Troy, that's discouraging. There's a point to it. This is my challenge to you, my appeal to you and to me, much to me as it is to you. Single encounter with the Lord is not what he's after. He wants a daily walk. He wants a dailyness. It was fine. It was powerful what happened to Jacob one time. But Jacob had already had an encounter with the Lord at Bethel 20 years earlier. And we know it was significant because after that, Jacob tithed. It takes a pretty significant encounter with God to make a person tithe. But it didn't change his life. An encounter alone, one single encounter, isn't what God's after in your life and my life. One conference, one meeting, one Bible study, one encounter is not enough. It's a daily thing with Him. It's a daily coming back. It's a, that's a daily wrestling. That Lord, okay, I know I did this here, but now I'd rather, I'm kind of moving and doing it my own way. And you keep going through these. I've been walking through this for 30 years, learning, messing up a lot. Please don't hear me say that I got it right because I messed up more than I got anything right. But God was so gracious and so faithful. But I'm still learning. I'm still having to be reminded on a daily basis to do what I already know. Lori, would you come play? I want to share this as Lori comes to the piano. Um, it was um, July 1st, and Lori was in an accident. Someone ran into her, and uh, everybody was okay. The other driver was fine. Lori was fine. And... I went and I looked at it, and I thought, well, it doesn't look terrible, the van. Um, you know, they hit kind of near the rear passenger wheel, tore the wheel up, and it was flat, and it did some damage there on the wheel well and the door, but I thought, it doesn't look awful. They'll fix it, and we'll go on. Um, and so, about... Two weeks prior to this, Lori and I were having a conversation one day. We were talking about that van. All of our vehicles are a little older, 13, 14 years old. Um, and, but we've tried to take care of them, and they, they still seem to be performing pretty well. And when I start looking at newer ones, I get sticker shock. I haven't bought a vehicle in 15 years, and it's like, oh. Um, I'm thinking, I didn't want to buy a house with this. I just wanted a car. Um, So we were thinking, we'll keep our van for another three to five years, Lord willing. 
And then we'll think about a vehicle. The kids will be all older at that point. Elizabeth will be 18. And we'll just, you know, wait. Then this is doing fine. And then I get a call from the insurance company this week and say, we're sorry, but your, your vehicle is unsalvageable. We're not going to fix it, in other words. It costs more to fix it than what we think it's worth. It's worth a lot more to me than it is to you. But and we talked and negotiated a little bit. In the end, they write me a check and they take my title and you walk away. And I'm thinking, Lord, we had a plan. And I heard the Holy Spirit said, no, you had a plan. You never asked me about your plan. You just had a plan. Man plans his way. God directs his steps. And you say, Troy, did you have, did Lori have that accident just because you know? I'm not saying that God's punishing you, any of those things. I'm just simply saying that what often looks like a curse to us often can be a blessing. And what we think is a blessing may be a curse. So for a few days there, I'm you know, trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Do this? Do we do that? And, and it's an interesting thing at this point of our life because in years past, we didn't have anything. So didn't, it was like you didn't, it wasn't like you had options. But we, we have a few more options at this stage of our life. A little more provision. I'm like, well, we could do this or we could do this. You realize having options is harder than having no options? The Holy Spirit spoke the other day to Lori and I both, and he's like, what have I done for you as far as vehicles your whole married life? Like, well, Lord, you have done the unexpected. He said, why would you think I would do anything different now? So rather than you figuring out what you should go do, what if you just wait and ask me, trust me, and see what I want to do? Like, yeah, Lord, that sounds like a better plan. And see, the thing is, I thought I learned that a long time ago. And I'm still repeating it right now. You don't ever arrive this side of heaven. You don't arrive. You keep growing. By God's grace, you see better. You can see more. You got more behind you. You see more of God's faithfulness. But there's still plenty in front of you that you can't see. But you can trust. Because he's good. He's there not to hurt you, not to harm you. He wants to bless you. And the greatest blessing he wants to give to you is to change you from the inside out. He wants to transform a Jacob into an Israel. I want that. I want to be an Israel. I don't want to live my life as a Jacob. I've done that too long. You bow your heads with time this morning believing some of the things I've said to the best of my ability I share with you what I believe scripturally is true and experientially is true 
I realize there's more. You can't, comp- you can't preach all truth in one message. And there's supporting messages and truths and even differing truths that support this one. I get that. But I can tell you this, and I know it based on the authority of God's word, that his goal for your life and my life is to conform us into the image of Christ. So we look like Jesus. That's what he wants to do. And he's willing to do it. And he's intentional about doing it. And often you and I struggle against that. Sometimes unaware. So I would ask you this morning, is there a willingness based on just the Holy Spirit's work in your heart to be able to say, Lord, I am willing for this transformation process to happen in my life. And I believe that it may at times look like a curse when actually it's a blessing that you're bringing to me. And I'm willing to trust you and walk with you without the striving, without the scheming, without the trying to make something happen that I want happen. Just trust you. And I know what you're thinking, the same thing I think. Troy, that is so un-American. That is so wrong. You cannot get ahead in life doing, living life that way. Maybe not in this life, but in the one that really matters, you do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heaven is higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. And his thoughts than our thoughts. His way is supernatural. It's miraculous. And if the Spirit of God is in you, I know there's a part of you that wants to live life that way. I know it because that's what the Spirit does. That's what He longs for. That's what He stirs within us. So just tell Him, Lord, I acknowledge that. That is what I want. I also acknowledge there's a part of me that doesn't want it. And that I surrender to you. I just surrender it to you. Not just today, because it's not a one-time event, but every day. I'll come back to this place, and I'll surrender to you. Two years ago, Bethany came to me and she was telling me about an accident she was in and a lawsuit that had been filed against her and her family. And the desire, it seemed, of the other person, the other party, take everything they have. And there were all kinds of threats and there was much fear associated with it. We all would feel it. We would all feel that fear. And I remember telling her two years ago, I know the fear is real. I know this looks bad. But I also know that God did not forsake you and that he is at work in ways you cannot see right now. And she looked at me and she said, I'm finding that hard to believe. And I looked at her and I said, then I'll believe for you and pray until you believe. And I did. And then she did. And walked through all that. And she shared with me last week 
out of the blue, the other party called and said, they're dropping the case. Done. It's settled. Two years later, it's done and settled. You think, but Lord, that's a long two years. In the light of eternity, how long is two years? Really? It's a drop in the bucket. Seems long to us. It seems like a curse to us. I can tell you something from the outside, though, watching the internal work that God did in Bethany. It's a blessing. Her story is like hundreds, thousands of others. Maybe like yours. Maybe you've never known God that way. I'm asking you today to trust him. If you trusted him for your eternal life, you believed he could save you from hell, then why not, why not trust him with your life down here? That he can save you here just as well. Lord, help us believe. Help us to trust. I pray that for each one in this room. I pray it for myself. Because, Lord, I have not arrived in this. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But I believe it to be true. Lord, I don't want to be any other pastor except the one that you've called me to be. And Lord, this pastor just wants to walk with a group of people who want to be who you've called them to be. Nothing more, nothing less. So Lord, here we are. For those who are wrestling today, right now, I pray that they would stay with you long enough to get to the heart. Not the external thing. Not the problem that's so easily identified. Lord, get to the heart. What's underneath it all? Lord, help us all. And Lord, I pray today that if there is one here who does not know you, that today would be the day that you by your spirit would draw and today would be the day of salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, when we dismiss as always, we'll have prayer partners. We can pray with you about anything that God's doing in your life. It's our privilege to be able to do that. To be able to go to the Lord with you in that. I thank the Lord for you. It's a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for being among God's people today. There are a lot of places you could be. Thank you for being here. And I pray that God bless you, encourage you. Pray you heard him today.